Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Time period where you have an inclusive, not an exclusive view of religion, where uh, you could all have very different belief systems and different gods and different uh, types of faith, and they could accommodate one another. They could merge together. They could be uh, blended together. That's what synchronism means. You blend it together. And so uh, this is the era that the, the, the church is in, and this is the danger that they're in, okay? Because, the, the remember, Christianity is exclusive. It's not inclusive. It is the truth. It's not a tr- just a truth. And uh, so John is going to be addressing this issue where you seem to have, in the early church, where you have people going into the church, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. Remember, uh, Paul warns about that in the book of Acts. Uh, where they're twisting things or changing things. You have a little bit of Christianity, a version of Christianity merged with, again, uh, a certain false views that these apostles are going to have to address. And the reason I bring this up right now, again and again and again, is that these are, uh, when we read the New Testament, okay, when we read the New Testament, um, this is a theme, a common theme, right? Because we talk about common themes in the New Testament. Persecution is a common theme, right? We've kind of established that before, right? Uh, common theme, the need to share the gospel, the Great Commission. It's a common theme, right? Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But also a common theme is the danger of false teachers, right? And these themes do not change. They never change. It's not, they don't have an expiration date. They go on saying, like the first century, that was a problem. Maybe up to the fifth century, that was a problem. But in the 21st century, we don't have a problem with false teachers. Yes, we do. All right? Because, of, again, the, the relativism in our culture is still the same today. And you already know that it seems like as biblical literacy goes down, as theological uh, uh, discernment seems to decrease, it seems like, again, the church struggles again with uh, the problem of false teaching creeping in. And we have to be very on the alert, be careful about that, and, of course, read the scriptures to help us be ready for that. Now, let's talk about some of the, 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 the false teachings in particular. We have this, what's called the Gnostic heresies. It's just not one. It's many, all right? Gnostic, Gnosis, uh, the idea of knowledge, all right? And so you had these false teachers who were being influenced by Eastern thought and uh, belief systems with this idea that um, you would have this special knowledge, okay? You would have this special knowledge that um, you know, he had Jesus, his public ministry, uh, that was common knowledge, but that if you really wanted to be one of the spiritually elite, if you really wanted to have an inroad to, to enlightenment or to uh, some kind of spiritual experience, you had to have a certain teacher or certain individual who has the inside track. They had some kind of special knowledge, and then you would, uh, again, that was extra. right? Um, and on top of that, that, that gnosis of that Gnosticism would incorporate different types of um, aspects of different belief systems. For example, um, you would have what dualism. Dualism. If you, uh, if you study anything like Buddhism, Hinduism, things like that, dualism is really big in those those things. The yin and the yang, right? You do karate and all that guy. You know that kind of stuff, right? Okay. Yeah. You know the. And so you see light, darkness, death, life, um, that kind of thing. And John does a lot of this again. 
but there's a simplistic type of, uh, of dualism within uh, Eastern thought. Uh, asceticism is a big, big part of, again, about uh, Eastern religions. You think of with Buddhism, this idea of punishing your body, extreme self-control, yoga and Hinduism, that kind of thing. Uh, don't get married, uh, that, that is, was, was part of that. Another thing, too, is the a repudiation of the material universe. Because so going back to the ancient Greeks, Plato and so on, uh, they would view the material world, uh, especially the body, as a prison. Okay, the body, materialism is bad. The body is bad. It's evil, all right? And so you have almost like the body is a prison and your spirit is incarcerated. It's trapped within the body. And so this idea is this dualism, body and soul, body and spirit. And so there's this weird thing again about... Um, you know, you want to uh, uh, detach this, uh, whatever happened with you use with your body from your spirit. And so there's this weird thing about um, how you can sin with your body or do things with your body, and it would not be sin because it would not affect the soul. It would not affect the spirit. They were detached from one another. And so we're going to get into this whole thing about um, sin and, uh, again, the reality of sin. But, again, from Eastern thoughts, just like with Buddhism and Hinduism today, this idea that in those religions and in that, 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 that ideology is that you transcend that. You transcend that. Again, uh, there, there's no moral evil. It's an illusion. Uh, it's not real. Um, you somehow, again, uh, you redefine it, essentially. Okay. Uh, another part of this too is going to be um, we'll be talking about um, docetism or uh, docetism, however you want to say it there, and this idea of that Jesus only appeared to be a man. Okay, we'll talk about that um, from Docaeus to to seem or to appear, and so this idea that for the, the Gnostic false teachers within these churches, they're trying to say, well, yeah, Jesus came. Um, but because the body is evil, because the body is, 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 uh, is uh, inferior, you know, God, God, the God-man, Jesus, could not be really human, right? So they're denying the incarnation, and so they would say he's a phantom, he's a ghost, he's a spirit of some type, um, but he would not be corrupted by the flesh, okay? Um, and you have different variations of that, too, uh, but we're going to get into that a little bit. And then um, they'll talk about the divine spark. This is a, this idea of like a pantheistic view of, 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 of God, that everybody, everything's indwelt by the divine. And so human beings have this spark of divinity within them, and part of the, the, the for the Gnostics to exp have this experience and these rituals where somehow you would uh, discover that. Okay, having said all of that, let's jump on into the actual um, text itself. We're going to read... Uh, Actually, you're going to read from, uh, begin verse 1 all the way to verse 1, chapter 1 to verse 10, and then we'll go into chapter 2 and do uh, verses 1 and 2. So I need a volunteer to do that for me. Someone with a great voice. Wow. You up front. Okay, all right. <laughs> that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. 
and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we have made him a liar, and his word is not in us. Keep going. <laughs> yes. One through ten? Uh, no, just one, one and two. In chapter two. Ah, well, I have to go. Okay. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does not sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins, and not for our ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. All right, so again, to rise above the noise there. Um, what was from the beginning? What was from the beginning? And so this is very reminiscent of what? Remember John's writing? Where, where we, have we heard? In the beginning. Genesis. We have Genesis and also John's gospel, right? Okay, so again, the same idea, right, is that the gospel and the work of Christ is not a novelty. It's nothing new. Compared to these false teachers, this goes back, back to eternity, actually, but especially, again, tying back to John's authorship of John's gospel. So what was from the beginning? Okay, what was from the beginning? So John, in verse 1, is going to say there, interesting, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And it's interesting that, you know, John is, uses the word we, okay? Not I, we, okay? And so who are the we? Who do you think the we are? The apostles, yeah, the apostles, right? That they, again, this idea of they were there. We heard, seen, uh, we looked at, uh, and the idea of looking at is in looking intently, okay? Like they're, 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 uh, they're focused, all right? And this idea, we, and what we've touched with our hands. And again, this is emphasizing over and over again the humanity of Christ, that he was a real human being, that they had this relationship with him, and for three years the apostles, they ate, they drank, they, 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 they traveled with him, they watched him, they saw him do the miracles, they lived life with him in a very, 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 very real way, okay? And what's really cool about this is that just not John, but the other writers will keep talking about that they're eyewitnesses, they're eyewitnesses, all right? Um, you find this in, in Luke chapter 1. Again, when Luke writes his, uh, his, uh, that gospel, he says, I've investigated, right? I talked to eyewitnesses, people who were there, right? Uh, what's the importance of eyewitnesses when we talk about the Bible and the gospel and, and the gospel? What's the importance, importance, importance of eyewitnesses? 
that it really happened. It really happened, that's right. Uh, when you do historical studies, uh, like when I teach history, or whether, whatever history it is, we talk about primary sources. Okay, primary sources are really, really, really important because that was a person who was there. They saw it. They, they're, they're authoritative in their testimony because they were there. It wasn't something that someone wrote about 100 years later or secondhand information or something that's possibly legend, right? Is that John is saying, Peter is saying, all the apostles are saying, we were there, okay? And again, if you're going to be... Uh, uh, um, be serious in these and considering the, the truth of the Bible, you have to take into account these are eyewitness accounts. They're early, earlier than anything else that we actually possess, especially the, the so-called Gnostic Gospels, which are much, much later. All right. And so John's emphasizing over and over again the physicality, again, of this uh, existence or the experience with, with Jesus. And it's interesting he's talked about concerning the word of life. Now, real quickly, again, I want to talk about the word of life. Uh, John, in John's epistle, um, he talks about, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm jumping in chapter 5 real quick, quick here. Um, in chapter 5, verse 9, uh, John's going to say, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. Now, what's the testimony? Verse 11. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. All right? And that's one thing John's really stressing a lot here about assuring you, if you are a genuine believer, that you have eternal life. Right? You don't have to, again, so even with these tests and these, these ways to discern between someone who's a, tr uh, a false believer versus someone who's a true believer, if you are genuine, if you're authentic, if the Lord has really saved you, you have, again, this, uh, let me read it again, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Is in his Son. Verse 12, he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son, son of God does not have the life. All right? So Jesus is described as being the word of life. Okay, and of course the word, right? Here's a little John thing, right? Word is what? Come on. Some of you Bible guys out there know this. The, the, the word looking. Uh, the logos, right? The word, right? Okay, going back to John 1 again, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. The word was with God, right? He was in the beginning with God, right? And he, Jesus is the word of life. And there's, there's a lot packed into that idea of Christ being the logos, the word, because he's not just the word, but he's also the life. Okay, that word that, which gives eternal life, right? And so I love that. And then John's going to go on to say here, uh, verse 2, and the life was manifested. And that word manifested or to be revealed is kind of bookends. It, begin, it begins in uh, verse 2 and it ends verse 2. And what was this? The, the life that was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. And I like that, the, again, the, 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 the words there, seen, testify, and proclaim. Seen, testify, and proclaim. For the apostles, they were chosen by Christ to be, again, his representatives on the earth. Once Jesus is resurrected, he goes into glory. Um, they have a mission, right? They have a mission. Go out to all the nations, right? And to proclaim the gospel, right? And so my point is that for these um, elitist, Gnostic, false teachers, they would say, little, let's be secret. There's a secret religion, a mystery religion. Let's keep it to ourselves and let people come to us, or we're just kind of going to hold on to it. Christianity is all about spreading 
It's all about being public. It's all about going forth, right? Testify, proclaim, uh, speak, right? And so the apostles, they did that. And of course, the church is being built up. Now, with that too, I'd be reminded again is that, you know, that also applies to us. It also applies to us. I, I, I constantly get challenged by this, is that we're reminded again that we have a mission. We have a commission. We have, again, a purpose in this life. We say, what's my purpose in life? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Okay, catechism question number one there. All right, short catechism. But the other thing is, again, is to spread the gospel, right? To be his ambassadors, to, 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 to share Christ with people. And how are we doing in that? I know. I'm talking to myself here first, all right? Because again, time is short, right? We live on borrowed time. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. And God has given us a mission, right? And so John is saying, this is what we're doing. And my question is by application, how are we doing in that as well, right? Now, moving on here, let's talk about verse 3. And what we've seen and heard, so John's kind of repeating kind of that same language there, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, uh, Jesus Christ. Now a couple things here before I get into a little bit about the fellowship part. So John is stressing again the humanity of Christ when we refer to his, his, the incarnation. And usually with the incarnation, the only time we really kind of put a lot of emphasis upon that is when. Christmas, thank you very much. Yeah, Christmas, right? Um, you know, God became man, right? Uh, the God-man, Emmanuel, with God with us, right? And uh, but we're going to make a. I'm going to kind of take a little side excursion here a little bit. Is that why is the incarnation important? Why is the incarnation important? Okay, Trace. Well, if he didn't have a body, he couldn't have died on the cross. Yes. And his blood couldn't have paid for us. Yeah, without a doubt, sir. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. I don't know if you heard that. And by the way, just because of the noise level, you might have to speak up here a little bit there too. Again, is that Jesus represents us. He's the second Adam. Romans 5, right? He dies in our place. He's our representative, right? Um, we think about the high priesthood of Christ. We'll get into Hebrews here a little bit again. That he had to take on flesh and bone, uh, but he, without sin. Without sin. Okay, he was one of us. You hear that a lot all the time. He was one of us. He was one of us. So therefore, as our high priest, he's sympathetic. He understands, right, what we go through in life, right? And he prays for us. He intercedes for us. But Jesus was a real human being, all right? And so we emphasize, and, we, and, and, and also, too, uh, we should be amazed by that because how can the infinite God become finite? We have a, a role in that. Right? How can God, who has no limits, become a baby, all right? Become a human being, and God entering into his own creation, and then going to, I mean, uh, it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. And yet, and we talk about his humiliation. You think about Philippians, talks about his humiliation, right? His, his, him lowering himself to be a servant? Yes. I mean, how amazing is that? So when we get a little bit up in arms, we get a little prideful and think, you know, again, you know, we're, yeah, okay, I'm getting my little high horse here. But the point of the incarnation is, 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 is vitally important. The same time, too, of course, when we talk about that Jesus has two natures, he's fully God and fully man. So fully God here, for example, word of life would tie into that. He's the eternal life. 
who was with the Father and manifested to us in verse 2. And it's interesting also in, in, that, in verse 3 there is that the fellowship that we have with him is with the Father and with the Son. With the Father and with the Son. There's equality um, uh, between, again, uh, between God the Father, God the Son, that we share in that relationship with them. And then um, also, to light. You know, we haven't got to verse 5 yet, but one of the verses you'll see here describes that God is light. God is light, right? And John's epistle, will talk, and also in his gospel, uh, we talk about the nature of God. God is light. God is spirit. God is love. Yes? Okay? And so we'll talk about God is light, but it's interesting, again, if you go back to John's gospel, and I'm going back to John's gospel here, um, and we've got to read some of John's gospel just to tie in with the first... Uh, the, the, the epistle. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So again, we talk about uh, the equality. Again, God is Creator. Jesus is Creator. The Holy Spirit is Creator of all things, right? Couple the Trinity. In verse four, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not either comprehend it or overcome it. Okay, so Jesus is the light. He's not a light, he's the light. That the only light that we have is because Jesus is light. The work of the Spirit of God in us, again, is uh, why we, we know light and we, we, uh, we uh, also reflect that as well. Now, moving on here, let's talk about, just for the sake of time, let's talk about fellowship. Come on, some of you know the, the word for fellowship here. Koinonia, that's right. That was like the, the, the word, man, in the 70s. You were around in the 70s, right? Sorry. Some, yeah, okay, this class. Yeah, you were in the 70s, and um, um, it was the other class. I can't say that. Um, and the koinonia, all right? And so um, what's some, some of the synonyms for that? We talk about fellowship, partnership, uh, and especially communion. Okay, communion. And so it's interesting in verse 3 there, uh, John says uh, that we had the reason we're proclaiming to you that you may have fellowship with us. You may have fellowship with us and also fellowship with, again, the Father and the Son. So we're going to break it down real quickly here. Let's talk about communion or a fellowship with, with, with God, all right? Um, I don't know if you've ever uh, read this book by John Owen called Communion with God. Okay, maybe not. Okay. It's not yeah, okay. Um, and, I, and, and I've thought about, first of all, this book is challenging. It's so challenging, not because it's John Owen. John Owen can be a little bit of a challenger to read. Um, but he's going to put a lot of effort and work and stressing over and over again the, the, the blessing that Christians have to have fellowship or communion with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All right? And so we talk about Christianity, that Christianity is not a religion, but it's a relationship. And that's true. I would argue that it's both. It is a religion, but it's also a relationship. Okay? But this idea of communion is, is, is rich. It's a very rich concept. And um, so my question to you, first of all, what, what do you think I mean by that? What do you think Owen means by that? That this is the greatest privilege and this is the, the, the most important ex relationship or experience for a Christian to have in this life. What do you think I mean by that? Or did I just give it away when I, how I said that? Or maybe I'm not being clear. Okay. 
communion with God, we have this, our union with Christ, okay? We are, we are, we are uh, uh, again, uh, joined with Christ. We enjoy the benefits that God has given us through Christ, um, and we have this relationship with God, okay? My, my, my point here is this, and maybe it's connected to prayer. Maybe it's connected to our understanding about uh, our pursuit of God, is that, you know, how deep is our communion with God? How deep is that? How um, rich is that? Okay, so let me, okay, I'm, I'm trying to articulate something that is really super important and I'm doing poorly at it right now. Okay, so let me read a little bit of, of what, what, what Owen would say about it. He says, number one, truly for sinners to have fellowship with God, the, the infinitely holy God is an astonishing dispensation. So again, for sinners who we are redeemed sinners to have a relationship with, with the infinite holy God, he would say, it's, it's, uh, it's mind-boggling. I'm going to use the word mind-boggling. Not astonishing, mind-boggling. Why is it mind-boggling? Because of the Holy God, yeah. And this is my thing is that we, in a sense, have tamed God. We've domesticated God, okay? We just think, God, yeah, it's no big deal. I, you know, I'm in a relationship with God. You know, I, I know God. Yeah, I'm, I, just, I pray to God. You know, I just uh, hang out with God. You know, just, uh, God's, you know, he's here somewhere, you know? And... It is, again, we realize, again, who God is, according to scriptures, the scriptures, is that he's, um, we talk the word awe and fear and, uh, and um, having a, 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 a true appreciation for um, God, by his grace, allowing us to enter into his presence, his presence, um, where in the past, you read the Old Testament, that was denied the people of God, right? That was denied them. They had the, the veil between the Holy of Holies, right? They couldn't get near the Ark of the Covenant or be the, the, the presence of God, right? Until what happens? It's torn, right? And we have access to this infinitely holy God. And who are we? Well, I'm all that, man. Don't you know who I am? No. <laughs> You're a vapor, man. You're a mist. <laughs> You're a day gone tomorrow, right? Um, and then Owen's going to go on to say here, in the meantime, praying that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and Savior, who has of the riches of his grace, recovered us from a state of enmity into a condition of communion and fellowship with himself, that both he who that writes and they that read the words of his mercy may have such a taste of his sweetness and excellencies therein as to be stirred up to a further longing after the fullness of his salvation and the eternal fruition of him in glory. So, again, when you read Owen, he's saying, don't you realize how blessed you are, that you have communion with God, you have fellowship with God, you have a relationship with him that has no limit, that has no limit. Because quite honestly, if we're being honest, I think we're kind of bored sometimes with God. And I'd probably I'd be careful when the lightning bolt doesn't come through and hit me in the head. But the point is, it's true that we've got this Christianity thing figured out. We've got a little checklist. We do our church thing and everything like that. And yet every single day, are we hungering and thirsting after him? Are we spending time, and I mean time again, seeking him through his word, in prayer? You know, and, and this is what Owen's doing. He says, again, according to scripture, it's not some kind of mysticism. I want to be careful about that. I don't want to go Gnostic here, okay? But the point is, Owen is saying is that we fail to appreciate how great and how blessed we are to have communion with this, this indescribable God in Christ, right? And, and in fact, there's one last quote here. 
And I have to read just because it's a good quote from Owen. He says, the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him is not believe he loves you. You know? And so John says, you have fellowship with the father because of Christ and you are blessed. And also you have fellowship with one another, right? Because we share in this. And that's the, the, the beauty about, again, being in the body of Christ is you can go anywhere today. Uh, if you tra- summer's coming up and you travel and you go to a different church and somewhere and you have this connection, right? You have this connection, especially if you go to another country where you don't understand the language a lot of times or the, or the culture. And yet um, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ, right? There's that connection, right? And, um, and these are the people we'll be spending eternity with, right? Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And so... Um, and John's going to spend a lot of time, by the way, in, in the First John, talking about what that that koinia, what that fellowship looks like, all right? So because it's concrete, John is not so much just like, well, I just love everybody, you know, I just love everybody, you know, because he talked about basically, no, uh, if you hate your brother, you're not saved, right? But he's going to talk about very practical things, is that that if we have this fellowship in Christ, and that you have this love for one another, that's supernatural of the Holy Spirit, then you provide for the needs, right? You forgive one another. Right, you pray for one another. And so John's very concrete about what that koinia looks like. And just not John, but obviously throughout the, the, the New Testament as well. All right, uh, any questions so far? No, yes, ma'am. I actually do, but I hope it's not, well, I know it's a red herring. I just wanna know if you. Great. What, <laughs> what did the priests do when the curtain was torn in two? I wasn't there. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Who tore in the cabal? Okay. Yeah. Do you have any history on that? I don't know. I I I don't know if you guys Bible guys back there. Any any tradition that? No, we don't know. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for that red herring. (laughs) Now, um, verse five. Verse five. um, And this is the message we've we've heard from him. Right? So John will do a lot of this again about this apostolic tradition. John said, we ain't making this up. You know, it's not our thing. This goes back to Jesus. And we heard it from his word, from his mouth, okay? And announced to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. Okay, and we've already talked about this. But, and the, the idea of God being light is multifaceted. It's really interesting. A lot of times I'll ask my students, like, you know, when we talk about the, the, the attributes of God, is that, you know, what does it mean that God is light? What, what, do, you, what do you think? We say God's like. Someone say God's love, and then you usually it's like, well, I kind of got that one, right? Or God's holy, right? Oh, I got that one. Okay. We say God's light. I kind of get that little, uh, little bit. All right. So, what do you think? Revelation. What's that? Revelation. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Nothing's hidden from him. Nothing's hidden from him. What else? He dispels darkness. Yes. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Good. Anything else? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, just real quickly, and there's a lot to this. You think the Old Testament again, the Shekinah glory, right? Uh, God's revelation, again, is in the light, He's an inapproachable light. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a connected to his glory, right? 
Uh, it's connected to his, his truth. A lot of times, again, his light is his proclamation of his nature, his purposes, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, and, and also, too, uh, his light is connected to, uh, to morality. You think about God is pure, God is holy, God's without sin. And that's kind of what where John's going here is that he's saying, okay, if we're going to talk about Christian, what, it, what it means to be a Christian and how we define that, we start with God, not us. We start with God, not us. Because our tendency is to start with us and then go, oh, I'll throw God in a little bit later on. No. God is our standard, right? If we're to be like him, we need to know what he's like, right? And God is light. God is, and we're to be children of light. And it's always connected to holiness and godliness and truth and, uh, and sanctification, right? So going on to, uh, and that's why verse 5. And so let's talk about the, the, the next interesting set of verses. In verses 6, 7, and going all the way down to 10, John's doing this interesting thing. He's not the only one that ever does it, that he's responding to something. Okay, he's responding to something. Uh, typically, again, either false teachers are saying this, and he's heard this, and he's going, okay, if we say, or if you're, you know, you're hearing this, and you think this is, you agree with this, he's going to, he's going to challenge this, uh, this, this statement and give a counter argument to it, all right? So you can see here in verse 6, if we say, and then you'll see that again uh, in verse 8, if we say, uh, verse 10, if we say, all right? So what, what is he saying here? Verse, uh, uh, verse 6 here, if we say we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. All right. So real quickly here, again, if we say we have fellowship with him, so we say we have a relationship with him. We say we, we reflect him in some way. We say that we know him. We say that we spend time in his presence. And, uh, we're, and, and so uh, there's a, a, a um, uh, so with that, and yet, and yet, and then you have, and yet walk in darkness. And so this is, for John, he's using logic here. Again, it's like, you say, you say this, but you do this. Because the idea of walking has to do with how you live, right? And a reason to bring it up, John is like big on this. If you ever read John, in fact, almost like ad nauseum, he kind of hits you over the head with this. You know, for example, uh, in chapter 3, okay, okay, I'm sorry, I'm going to just go to chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, that's that light thing again. If you know he's righteous, you know that everyone who also who practices righteousness is born of him. Okay, so practicing has to do like how you live, right? So, and they'll go on to say like in verse, uh, in chapter three, verse nine, no one who is born of God practices sin uh, because the seed abides in him. Um, and, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. And he's just gonna go on and on and on. It's kind of like the whole thing, uh, you know, the, the old, uh, analogy or metaphor of like, and if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it's a duck, right? Okay, and that's the thing. And why do we bring this up? Is because the human tendency of self-deception, okay? Again, when we think about the heart is deceitful above all else. It's deceitful, it's deceitful, it's deceitful. You do not trust in your own heart, right? What does God say? And the point is that, and I'm, I'm talking to myself first of all, it's amazing how we can self-deceive ourselves, fool ourselves, right? We're really good at it, right? And so this case here, they're, they're doing this. It's that if we say we have fellowship with him, okay, yet if we walk in a way that's contradictory, here's our logic part here, law of non-contradiction, right? If we walk in this way, what's, what's the verdict there? We lie. Lie, 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 lie. You know what a lie is? 
It's not the truth, right? Okay? And we need to hear this because we live in a day and age, there's no such thing. It's all relative. Truth is what I want it to be. And from a biblical perspective as Christians, we don't live like that. We don't think like that. God is very clear. Again, it's one thing or the other. You can't have it both ways. Okay? And he goes on to here, and do not practice the truth. Do not live the truth. It's not habitual in your life. But verse 7 continues, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. Again, uh, be holy for I am holy. Okay? We are to, be, to be a Christian is to be like Christ, right? Not the devil, okay? Not like whatever celebrities that are out there. Again, my standard, my goal, I'm, you know, the God, God's intention in Romans chapter 8 is to conform me into the image of Jesus Christ his son, right? That's his will for my life is to be like Jesus, right? And so he goes on to say, if we walk in the light, see himself as in the light, we have, and what's the result? We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay, now the blood of Jesus is used a lot. Okay, again, and this goes back to Old Testament again. We talk about the, the blood. You know, the whole idea about the life is in the blood, going that, that the sin that's, that's, the soul that sins shall die. There must be a sacrifice, Old Testament uh, sacrificial system and so on. Everything pointing to, again, Christ's atoning work. The blood is the work of Christ on the cross, right? The shed blood, Right? And it's interesting, again, I, I was just thinking about um, this morning. I was, I was scrambling this morning, but I was thinking a lot of, like, a lot of hymns that have about the blood, right? You, you grew up on some of the, singing these, some of these songs, right? Um, you know, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, yeah. Um, my hope is built on nothing less. Yeah, you know these, all right? Yeah, okay. Um, Wim Cowper, right? There's a fountain filled with blood. Right? If drawn from Emmanuel's veins, the sinner plunged beneath the flood, lose all their guilty stains. And I bet you again there's 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 hymn and song over and over again that talks about the you know the the, the power of, of Christ's sacrifice on that cross, what it accomplishes. Right? And I love this this idea is that um, that if we are in Christ, if we are in the light as he is in the light, the promise is that the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us, he cleanses us. And again, the, the Bible has a lot of verses that talk about the, that, the cleansing power. And this goes back to the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament of washing us, cleansing us. Why? Because we're vile. We're dirty, right? We need to be cleansed, washed white as snow, right? Right? It's beautiful. And I love that this idea is it cleanses from what? How much sin? How much sin? All sin. Not a little bit of sin, not half a sin, not yesterday's lap past sin, all sin. The first sin I committed to the last sin I committed is washed, is, 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 wiped, is wiped clean, right? And was placed on the, the cross with Calvary with Jesus, right? All sin. And why I say this is because, again, we like to think sometimes, unfortunately, is that, yeah, God has forgiven some of these sins and some of these roots of the sins, but not all my sins. And so it's, I love it when God reminds us against all of our sins. Now he goes on to say here, verse 8, if we say we have no sin. So if we say we have no sin. So again, here's these Gnostic teachers have rewritten, redefined sin, and they're saying we have no sin. Now, how do you get in that state of mind? I'm not quite sure. Again, that's why when you read the Buddhist uh, writings and Hindu writings and they talk about this stuff, it sounds like fortune cookie kind of thing. It's that dualism or some kind of bizarre twisting of reality like, I don't sin. And it's like, 
dude, you're, un, you're living in unreality, okay? Because if you don't sin, I'm gonna steal all your stuff. No, it's not gonna steal all your stuff. Or, you know, you, in other words, you, can, you can't live that way in the real world, okay? But you're gonna play these little mind games. But if we say we have no sin, again, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us, right? Now, verse 9, again, is one of those famous, 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 famous verses, right? This is the one you memorize, right? This is the one that you write in someone's Bible. First John 1 9, right? If we confess, if we confess, if we are in the light, if we are in the presence of a holy God, if we have communion with Him, how can we not confess our sins, right? Because I see myself as I truly am in light of God's Word and light of His nature. And God tells me the truth about myself. And I have to confess my sins constantly, constantly. But the beauty of this is that I'm confessing my sins to him, and what does he do? He's what? He's faithful. He's faithful, right? Every single time we go to him, he promises to say, forgiven, not guilty, clean, restored, you're mine, you're loved by me. He is faithful every single time, and I need to hear that because you know what? I'm not faithful. He keeps the covenant, but I break the covenant. I am not dependable. He is always dependable. And he goes on to say here, not only is, is that he's faithful, but also what is he? He's righteous, right? He's righteous. Again, he does not change his nature. He doesn't grade on the curve. He does not compromise on his holiness. And the only way that he can do that is how? God's the just and the justifier, right? Because of Jesus, right? This is the beauty of the gospel again, is how does a holy God allow sinners into his presence, right? How does he save us from our sins without compromising his own nature? And the gospel is, is this amazing, mind-blowing answer to that. So that verse 9 is really, really super important. And you get that word cleansing again, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the word all, 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 all is really important, okay? Now, verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, here's this weird thinking again, we make God a liar, okay? And you see John using this quite a bit of times, again, is that if you deny what God is saying, you are not, you're, this is, you're playing with fire, okay? Because literally, you're calling the God of the universe a liar. And that is no small thing, by the way. And the reason I bring this up is because it seems like in our culture, because they're godless, and I, that they think, eh, it's okay to call God a liar. You know, Jesus is not the Messiah. Jesus did not do what he did. That the gospel's not true. And basically what you're saying, you know what, so you're calling God a liar? Hmm, good luck with that. Right? <clears throat> so finally, finally, verse in chapter 2 continues on um, in verses 1 and 2. Little, my little children, and John, remember, he's older, so he's referring to uh, you know, these people in our church as, as being not literally little children, but uh, spiritually. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And we always have this thing again about grace, about grace and grace, because this idea, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, to save the wrench like me, is that this idea is that, you know, it's, it's such good news. Um, it's hard to understand that God's love for me is unconditional in Christ because of the gospel. Okay, it's un in other words, I didn't merit it, and I can't merit it still, right? And it's, God's love for me remains the same. 
Okay, and it's hard for us to understand that. And you get Paul in his writings uh, in Romans talks about when, when people understand God's grace and salvation, they think, well, let's, great, let's sin more, that God would be magnified more, that God's grace would be magnified more. Okay, that's really twisted <coughs> logic, right? And the point here is, again, if you are truly born again, if you're truly saved, you know the last thing you want to do is offend a holy God and to offend your Father who is in heaven and sin against him and be rebel against him and grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That's the last thing you want to do. Because if you have an attitude like, you know what, it's God's job to forgive me anyway. I just might as well just go sin. He's going to be glorified in that. That's his job is to just basically kind of, you know, uh, give me a little bit of room and just kind of let me sow my oats a little bit. And then, you know, God can come back and clean up my mess. No. And so, the, again, John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now, again, in that, the, 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 the language there is the, the, the thing is we, we, we will sin. Okay. And if anyone sins, this is the beauty again, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Now real quickly here, because I'm running out of time. Okay, Jesus is our advocate, okay? And, the, and it's legal language, okay? There's been a lot of debate about this a little bit, but you all, a lot of times hear about the gospel being a, a, a legal, using legal language and imagery. So the idea, again, is you're in a courtroom and you have to stand before the God, the judge of the universe, and you have to, you're, you're guilty of a crime. In fact, you are the most guiltiest person in the world, in the universe, and you have no defense, right? Um, and you're under the full weight of the law, and you're about to be pronounced guilty, and then be, uh, and then a sentence pronounced upon you. And then you have someone who comes alongside of you, the paraclete, the paraclete also, but paraclete, um, like the Holy Spirit. He, Jesus is like a defense attorney who comes up and says, "I represent my client." Okay, and not only do I speak on my on his behalf, I will take his place. Which is really, really super cool again. Again, Jesus represents us before the, the law of God, but also he takes our place. The punishment that we deserve is placed upon Christ himself, right? And so he stands in our place. And again, this ties into the Christ's high priestly work. If you read the book of Hebrews, it talks about this over and over and over again, that he intercedes for us. That's why I always love the story about uh, the difference between uh, Peter and Judas, right? Why, when they both fell, you know, why did Judas fall away and he was an apostate, some perdition, and he was not recovered? When, G when uh, Peter denies Jesus three times, which is huge, right? One thing that Jesus says to Peter is that, I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. Satan demands to sift you like wheat. You're like nothing in his hands, but I have prayed for you. And that's what Jesus does for us. He intercedes on our behalf. He's our perfect high priest. He represents us before a holy God, and he prays for us that we will stand and that we are, we are righteous in, the, in, his, in God's sight. Okay, there's a lot going on here. Okay, I can, and this ties, of course, into his sacrifice, his propitiatory sacrifice, which I can't really get into because the time ran out of time. But anyway, I'm going to stop here. Uh, thank you all for your time. Hope I was not too fast. Sorry, I was watching the clock and I was running out of time. So, God bless.